0: Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at org. Thank you, Jerry and Sean, and thanks also, all the Launch Team, that's quite a moment there. Well, this morning we're gonna be talking about waiting on the Lord, and uh, that I think is everybody's favorite topic, right? Waiting. Um, How many of you, quick show of hands, and remember, I just was ordained and installed, so I'm pastor. Don't lie to a pastor, okay? (laughs) How many of you uh, enjoy waiting for things? Waiting for things, okay? So if I were to say, uh, you are called the people who wait on the Lord, would you want to be called that, though? Yes. Yes, okay. Now, what about hope? How many people would describe themselves as hopeful people, people of hope? okay. Now, would you be surprised to find out, I found that out actually very recently, Pastor Sean told me about uh, Victor Gluckin's sermon uh, recently on Advent, would you be surprised to find out from the Hebrew Bible perspective that waiting on the Lord and hoping are the same thing? (laughs) So that gives us a little bit of clue what we're going to be talking about. So this morning we'll be talking about the connection between waiting and hope. Uh, We'll be talking about how waiting is not a passive thing. I think we think of it a lot of like waiting for the bus or waiting at the airport. That's not what we're talking about. We talk about waiting on the Lord. Um, And then how God prepares us to wait for him. So this time of year is a time of year when many Christians celebrate Advent. And I personally did not grow up in a tradition where we celebrated Advent. Maybe some of you did. Uh, but I wanted to give a little bit of the background behind Advent because I think it's, it's interesting. And again, none of, this is, none of this is in the Bible or prescribed in the Bible. Uh, the, these are you know, helpful practices people have developed over the years, and I think that there's some merit to it. We're going to talk about why today. The word Advent itself comes from the Latin adventus, which just means coming. Uh, the equivalent Greek word is a word that many of you might uh, be familiar with, and that's the word parousia. Uh, So originally, Advent, you know, if we go back, you know, thousand plus years, Advent was a time of prayer and fasting around. They did yearly baptisms at Epiphany, which was in early January, uh, and celebrated, among other things, the arrival of the wise men to see Jesus. Um, A couple hundred years later, we find traditions where uh, Christians viewed Advent as a preparation for the second coming of Jesus. So they sort of morphed into that a little bit. And then I think it was pretty much the Middle Ages where people started celebrating both the future coming of Jesus as well as the first coming of Jesus at his birth. And so it took time to develop all these Advent practices. Um, Now in modern times, many Advent traditions either hold to a four-week or a six-week. Richard, I put that in for you. That's the Orthodox tradition, six-week, six-week Advent. I don't know if you you did that in, in your tradition. So the four-week the four versions began last Sunday. Um, and now, and since like the 1800s, they've had this like Advent wreath. And so uh, you can see here, um, and there's different versions of the Advent wreath, but typically there's, there's four colored candles, and there's like a white candle or a special candle called the Christ candle. And each week of Advent, you would light a different candle. And each candle uh, means a different thing. And so common traditions include hope, peace, joy, and love, or hope, preparation, joy, and love. And then on Christmas, or on Christmas Eve, you'd light the middle candle. So, again, Advent, it's a, it's a beautiful tradition. It's not biblical, uh, but I do find it, it interesting. And, and one of the things that's, that's neat about it is it's, it's a helpful way to slow down and think about all that God has done for us. Uh, for me, that's what Advent is al- about. And so with this in mind, I wanted to talk about this morning, since we only have a monthly service, I can't, we can't do the hope in one, and the peace in one, and the joy in one, uh, and the love, you know, we can't do like four separate things, I'm doing one Advent sermon, we're going to push it all together, so we'll see how it goes. So we're going to be talking about waiting on the Lord, and I want to talk about what it looked like for them to wait on his first coming before Jesus came. We're going to talk about what it looks like for us in our time waiting for his second coming. And then we're going to talk about waiting for things that aren't Jesus-related because there are a lot of things in life that we have to wait on the Lord for. I think it's important for us to look at that. So I have three keys for us on what it, what it means to wait on the Lord. So those three things we're going to talk about today are vision, trust, and patience. Vision, trust, and patience. I think these are three critical components of waiting on the Lord. And uh, the figure that I thought of that naturally came to mind, I'm a sports fanatic, is the figure of a person, a running back specifically, going through the offensive line uh, in a football game. So here's a picture of it. But I actually want to invite four men up. I've got the two Zachs, and I've got Sean and Jerry. If you guys would come up here real quick. The Zachs, if you would stand facing the audience right, you know, basically here and here next to each other. Jerry and Sean, if you'd go over there. So come over here, Zach. Yep, come over here, Zach. So I got the Zacks. All right, so now imagine I'm the running back. I don't have the uh, special forces guy. <laughs> <laughs> we got the, the, the X-mill guys against the pastors. So <laughs> notice, notice, notice who I picked to protect me. <laughs> all right, all right, that's, that's enough for me. Uh, So imagine these guys are blocking. You guys are blocking these guys. I'm the running back. Imagine I don't wait. I don't wait. I don't wait. I don't wait. (laughs) If if I don't wait for this play to develop, I'm going to run into Zach or Zach, either one. Now, am I going to make the progress I need to make if I'm running into them? No. So what a running back needs is he needs vision. He needs to see where the hole is, where it's developing. He needs trust, trust in his line, trust in the coach that he called the right play. And he needs patience, because I want to hit the gap in the line going as quickly as I possibly can so that these two guys can't tackle me. So imagine a situation where I wait, you know, I'm moving, I'm still I'm juking or doing whatever, but I wait for the hole to open up, and now I'm making it through. See? I'm making it through, and I'm not, I'm not going to get stopped. Thank you, gentlemen. Give him a hand. All right. So it's important for me to wait upon the block, because if I wait, I can keep my momentum going. Now, that's football, right? But in life, when we're thinking about situations that we're waiting on, if we're bucking up against, you know, if we get frustrated, what does that cause us to do in our spiritual lives? It causes us to lose momentum. It slows us down. makes it easier for the devil to, to tackle us. And so I think that's a good visual for me, at least. Hopefully you enjoyed it, too. I think uh, Jerry enjoyed it. (laughs) (laughs) We're in Genesis chapter 3 to start. So thinking about the first coming of Christ and the things that they would have been aware of, again, in the context of vision, trust, and patience, first they had to have a vision of what God was going to do, a vision of what God was going to work uh, in the world, and the first, the first vision of that is here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this is the first mention in the Bible of the need for a Savior. This is where the vision or the concept of a Savior started coming into existence. Now these words were spoken... Um, 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. 4,000 years. So you can imagine, you know, Moses writing this down quite a few years after that, but the oral tradition, people telling other people of God throughout the time before Moses about this promise, about the need for a Savior, and then eventually it gets written down. And even in the written tradition, there's still 1,500 years before Jesus comes approximately. So think about all that time of waiting on the Lord. They were waiting for this offspring. We can turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy. Here's another bit of information that that they would have received about the coming coming Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, and again, this is the second generation that came out of Egypt. uh, The children of Israel. They were about to enter the promised land, and Moses said to them, verse uh, 15, The Lord, or Yahweh your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me, like Moses, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So an additional bit of information about this coming one was that he was going to be a prophet like Moses. And Moses if you know much about Judaism, Moses is one of like the pillar figures of, of Judaism. I mean, he's, he's a huge, huge deal. He was the lawgiver. He gave the law. And so he's talking about a prophet that would come like him in a future time from among the, from among the brethren. And just as that second generation that came out of Egypt listened to Moses, the charge for the people of God in the future when that, that other prophet came would be to listen to that prophet. They were commanded to listen to that prophet. Let's turn to Psalm 16. Trying to build the the vision and the idea of trusting in God to bring that vision to pass, and then the patience to wait on God to bring that vision to pass. And here in Psalm 16, this is the Psalm of David, um, you will see some of these components here in what he says. In Psalm 16, verse 7, it says, I bless the Lord, I bless Yahweh, who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is my, at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, Or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now look at the confidence and the trust and the faith that David had in God, in Yahweh, that he saw this vision that God was going to give a Savior, and he says, I know you will not abandon my soul to the grave, to Sheol. He knew he would eventually be raised from the dead. And it says, or let your Holy One see corruption. He had the faith to see that this future person was not going to see corruption, this future prophet. And, and as we, we, some of us may know in, in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes this on the day of Pentecost in his first sermon. And he says, he talks that this is, this is about Jesus. This is about Jesus. And Jesus did not see corruption. He was in the grave three days and three nights. So, in the period of waiting for that Messiah's first coming, for our Messiah's first coming, again, probably about 4,000 years the faithful people of God had to hold on to these visions. And there's many of them. There's many prophecies. There's many views of what Jesus would be and what he would do. They had to hold on to that. They had to keep trusting. They had to persevere in patience. They weren't just sitting on the ground waiting for the Messiah to come, right? So what does this look like? What is a life filled with hope, a life filled with expectation, a life of waiting on the Lord look like? It looks like doing the things that God sets forward for you to do. For the people in that time, it was doing the Old Testament law. It was uh, doing the practices that God had set for them. It looks like people living godly lives. That's what waiting on the Lord looks like. It's not a passive thing. It's an active thing. Waiting on the Lord, hoping in him, takes action. So we've talked a little bit about what it looked like for his first coming. Let's talk about the second coming and what we can anticipate. If you want to turn with me to Ezekiel, chapter 37. In Ezekiel, we get another prophecy. Some of these prophecies about... uh, the Messiah that would come, haven't been completely fulfilled yet. Some of them have been fulfilled completely. Some of them have been fulfilled in part. Some of them are still waiting to be fulfilled. And here in Ezekiel 37, we see a picture of a future king. And he's named David because this was going to be a Davidic king. And we know that even though the servant here is named David, he's talking about Jesus, who we call Jesus. In verse 24, it says, my servant David shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes they shall dwell in the land that i gave to my servant jacob where your fathers lived they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever and david my servant shall be their prince forever i will make a covenant of peace with them it shall be an everlasting covenant with them and i will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. The picture here is of incredible peace. This final and greatest Davidic king will rule over everyone. And there will be one Perfect, harmonious society. So even though Jesus has already come, do we see this yet? No. We don't see God dwelling with his people as it talks about in the final kingdom. But we know that he will dwell with his people. This is the vision that we can hold on to, anticipating the second coming. Let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 25. There are many prophecies of the coming kingdom, and short little plug here, weekly services. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God for a couple months, starting January 15th. So uh, we'll be going through some of these passages again in January. Uh, but Isaiah 25 is one of my favorites, um, and, and I love it because uh, I love feasts, I love food. And uh, anyway, we'll just read it. Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. Then verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So think about, think about this picture that we see here. We see a picture of a beautiful feast, amazing food, amazing wine, the best thing you could imagine, all the best foods. And I wonder if this is what Jesus was thinking about when he said to his disciples, hey, we're going to sit down at a table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We're going to enjoy meals together. Um, this certainly could have been the passage he was referring to. And then look at verse 8. He will swallow up, God will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. If this is familiar to you, it's because this gets quoted in the book of Revelation, talking about the end of all things, when it all comes together. Now, verse 9. It will be said on that day, that future day when all this takes place, behold, this is our God, We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So, the people of God, in that moment when we're celebrating this all together as a big family, the thing that we're going to say is, We have waited for him. And here, that word for waited is the same Hebrew word that basically undergirds every usage of the word hope in the Hebrew Bible. It's the same word. The waiting, the hoping is the same thing. This is our hope. This is our expectation. This is what we're waiting for. We're waiting for the time when God will wipe away all the tears. He'll get rid of death forever. That's what we have to look forward to. 1 Corinthians 15 1 Corinthians 15, this is what the Apostle Paul says about the same, same stuff. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is a, a chapter that is all about the kingdom of God. And again, I'm not going to steal too much from January, but we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 15 again and again <laughs> next month. All right, verse 50. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all he says, right? No. What does hope look like practically is what we see in this last verse. Therefore, because of this hope, because of this amazing thing that's going to happen to us in the future, where our bodies are going to change, we're going to be able to experience eternal life, we're going to be able to be in the presence of God and not be vaporized, right? That's what God told Moses, right? I can't show you me because if I show you me, you're going to be gone, right? So, in that time when that happens, that's exciting stuff. But, this is what we do. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Being steadfast and immovable, that may be what we think about when we think about waiting. <laughs> like you're not moving, you're not doing anything. But it also says always abounding in the work of the Lord. That word work is like labor. Knowing that you're in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So work and labor, these are the things that God sets before us. This is what hoping and waiting and expectation looks like. So, this is how we wait on God. We wait on God by being true people of hope, true people of expectation. And people that hope for something and people that expect something, they are doing things, they are being active. We're not bus stop Christians. (laughs) We know that in the Lord, our labor, our hard work is not in vain. So just like the Old Testament people of faith, they waited for his first coming. Many of them who believed and had faith to see Jesus come did not see that. They passed away. We'll see them in the resurrection. Just like us, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, some of us will will be passed away, some of us will still be alive. But no matter what, we'll be reunited with our Lord. But while we're alive on this earth, while we're drawing breath, while God gives us grace to live, we can hold on to the vision that we've been given. We've been given this vision of what it will look like when God sets everything right in the end. We can trust that God will perform what he's promised. And we can do so especially because we've already seen that he did the first one, right? I mean, think, about the, think about the first group of people of God. They just saw, I mean, they saw some amazing things in the wilderness, and like I'm not trying to diminish that, but they're hoping for this Messiah to come and then it's thousands of years. At some point you might get discouraged, but they didn't. There was always a remnant that believed, that always held on, that held, held secure to that. And just in our day the same thing is true, but we have the chance of looking back to the life of Jesus and seeing what God did in Jesus then and what he's doing through Jesus now. So that's a little bit about waiting on the Lord in the first and second comings of Christ. I want to think about our lives, too. How can we wait on the Lord in our lives when it's the smaller things of life, maybe? And and our lives are all big to us, right? So I'm not saying smaller. I'm saying smaller than Jesus coming. Okay? (laughs) All right. So how do we wait on the Lord in our lives? I think about... um, There's a lot of great examples I could give from the Bible. There's David, uh, Ruth, Esther. I mean, there's all sorts of people that waited on the Lord, had to wait to see a result take place. Uh, but I want to talk about Joseph this morning. And I want to give just a brief synopsis about his life. Joseph was one of the 12 literal children of Israel. He was one of 12 sons uh, to the man named Israel. Um, He was the favorite son. And his brothers, because he was a favorite son, they were jealous of him. And so uh, he he had a dream, and he told his brothers about that dream, and that led them to hate him even more. And eventually, uh, several of them wanted to kill him. And one of them said, no, let's not kill him. Uh, Look, these people are passing by. Let's just sell them into slavery. So he goes from being the uh, heir of a wealthy landowner to being a slave. And so he's a slave for a period of time. And during that period of time, and again, I would go back and read this in Genesis, check my work on this, but he is faithful to do the right thing. And it's actually a pretty stark contrast when you're reading through Genesis because there's a whole chapter dedicated to Judah. And Judah does some like awful things, especially like sexual immorality in that chapter. And then in the very next chapter, Joseph as a slave has the opportunity to do something where it was bad. It was not a good thing for him to do. And, and I think the Bible's trying to show us like, don't do Judah, do the Joseph thing, right? <laughs> it's like next to each other for a reason. Um, and so Joseph doesn't, you know, the master's wife wants him to sleep with her, and he says, no, I can't do that. My god won't, wouldn't abide it. My master, you know, Potiphar wouldn't abide that. Uh, and so he doesn't do it. And so she eventually falsely accuses him, and he gets thrown into prison. So he does the right thing. He's faithful, and he still gets thrown into prison. You know, he was raised up to an incredible position of authority. A steward in that culture was an amazing responsibility, and he gets punished for, his, for being faithful. So he goes to prison, and he continues to wait, and he continues to wait. Now, while he's waiting, what is he doing? He is being faithful to God, and God is prospering. It says the Lord is with him. It says the Lord is with him multiple times, and it says that everything that he does, God prospers. And, and his lifestyle is limited. He's in prison. You know, first, he's a slave. His lifestyle is limited there. His lifestyle is even more limited in prison, but he's still being faithful to do what he can do, And because of that, he gets raised to the level of leadership in the prison. And that gives him the opportunity to interpret two men's dreams. One of them, the butler or the cupbearer, gets restored to his position of power. Now this is Joseph's chance, right? He can now get out because he says, look, remember me when you get restored. What happens? The guy forgets for two more years. And Joseph's in prison for two more years. And does Joseph give up? Does he just like... You know, commit suicide in prison someday, or does he like just stop doing the faithful thing and just like whatever, give up on life? No, he's still faithful every day to do what he knows to do. And so the cupbearer uh, finally remembers him. The Pharaoh has a dream. Cupbearer says, Hey, I've got a guy, he's in prison. Break him out, see what he can do for you. Joseph goes on and he, you know, uh, interprets the dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh recognizes his ability. And he raises him up to being the second highest person in one of the greatest empires of the world. He goes from being a slave to being a prisoner who is a former slave to being the second most powerful man arguably in the world at that time. And the the crazy thing about it is is the dream that he had was that his brothers would bow to him. Later in the story, guess what happens? His brothers bow to him. (laughs) So why didn't Joseph just give up? He didn't have this. The Bible wasn't there when Joseph was doing all this stuff. This is years of time. Why didn't he sacrifice his morals? Because he was determined to wait on the Lord. He was determined to place his hope in God. So as I was thinking about this, this remarkable example of waiting on the Lord, Uh, I was thinking about when he was a slave, when he was a prisoner, what do you think gave him the fuel to wait on the Lord? And I could only come up with two things. The one is the Lord was with him. He had a relationship with God, which he would have probably learned from his parents and been passed down from people older and wiser than him. But God gave him something, something that he could have held on His entire life. God gave him a vision of what would happen in the future. And he held on to it. He trusted that God would bring that vision of his brothers bowing to him to pass. He was in prison. He was a slave. And he trusted that God would do that for him. So what kind of vision does God have for your life? What things has God revealed to you about how you have to walk for him or or how he wants you to walk for him? Has God given you something to do? I encourage you to wait on the Lord in that. If you have received something, a vision, a dream, a calling to take the action that you know to take, to do the steps that God places in front of you every day, To fulfill that but it's going to take not just a vision it's going to take trust and it's going to take patience that when it's the right time for this all come to pass that it will come to pass now if you're new to the faith and this all sounds like crazy to you uh, or if you're still considering the faith I invite you to experience Christ I invite you to come into a community of faith whether it's ours or another community of faith I invite you into that because the world out there is devoid, I think, of real hope at its bottom line. And I believe that the only true hope we have is in Yahweh our God through his son Jesus. And this is the perfect time of year to reconsider these things as we, people all around us are celebrating Christmas. So my invitation to those inside especially those of you who've received a calling received a vision to be faithful to that calling faithful to that vision that's where we can wait upon the Lord in our life and see the things come to pass in the Lord's time and if you're new I invite you to find true hope this is the true hope the future kingdom is the true hope Jesus coming back in this season of hope this is something we can offer to the world will you pray with me? Father Father What a joy it is for us to see what you've done for your people throughout history, for the visions and the dreams and the callings that you've given, especially the promises of the Messiah that you would send. It's just the best gift you could have ever given us, God, is the gift of your son, Jesus, and his example in the pages of the Bible that you've given to us. Lord, we just are overwhelmed in thankfulness for the people that had to wait upon you for thousands of years over the generations so that he could come, so that Jesus could come, so that there would always be a remnant that would be faithful to you, so you could find the right time to send him the first time. And Father, we're thankful that we can be the people of hope, the people of faith, the people that trust you, the people that wait upon you in this day and time, that we can show people how to come to you, how to come to your son, Jesus. That we can be um, people of hope, people that bring hope, people that can give others hope. That we can teach others to wait upon you and on your timing when you send your son back the second time. And Father, we just thank you for the individual callings and giftings and uh, dreams and visions that you've given various people in this room that you would encourage and strengthen them in that, that you would help them to trust you, that you would help them to find the patience that they need to fulfill that in their lives, whatever that looks like on your timing, when the time is right. And Father, we, we do live in hope that this church is an example of that in all of our lives. God, I thank you for just how amazing it is that we can hope and trust in you, that we have something that we can hope in. We lift all this to you in the name of our brother and Lord and your son, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church weekly sermon podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.